0: Welcome to Highly Functioning, a show about exploring, understanding, and optimizing the mind from a non-neurotypical lens. On this week's episode, we talk about looking forwards and backwards. We touch on the differences, pros, and cons of depth and breadth thinking, and talk about the ways in which we intake, integrate, and generate new knowledge differently. A key concept we touched on is managing people with principles as opposed to rules, using agile and design thinking on yourself and how anxiety can result in impulsive thinking and or analysis paralysis. As always, thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcasting app. Follow us and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash functioning. And if you like our content, consider supporting us at ca. There you'll find bonus content, Q&As, and be able to provide direct input on how you can change the show.
1: Hey, Winston. How's it going? Hey, David. I'm good. How are you? Um... I'm doing all right. I'm doing better than I have been in a little while. So that's good.
0: Yeah, I think it shows on your face too. Hmm.
1: Um, so today I, I'm just gonna start with like sort of the title of, of my upcoming book, long upcoming. It's it's a while away, but um and, and it's sort of talking about how some people look at the world versus others. And I think there's something specifically related to uh, autistic people, but not necessarily. Um so the, the title I've come up with is running in reverse.
0: Um, One thing before that, I don't think you've actually mentioned on the podcast that you got your diagnosis.
1: Oh, I don't know. I've gotten my official autism diagnosis a couple of months ago, um, which was a big weight off my shoulders because I first sort of I knew something was off, so to speak, with my mind more than anxiety and depression mm-hmm. or like a year and a half to two years now. And I, and I was searching for some understanding of what that was. Um, and you know, it was about one year ago that I no, maybe, yeah, it was about a year and a bit ago that I was confident that it was Asperger's or autism, but Mm -hmm. to have like someone with a medical degree actually confirm that is obviously beneficial over just thinking about it on my own. So Mm -hmm. it was good. Um, yeah, and so I've been really thinking about how, why I was the way I was, right, and, and how I used to behave and how I used to deal with the world. Um, and so I had this vivid image come forward of, you know, someone sprinting forward as fast as they can, but their head is turned backward, and they're only looking at the things as they pass them, right? And so I was able to maneuver and, you know, you can get somewhere. But I ended up, you know, at 24, waking up being like, oh, wow, I'm totally in the wrong uh, state of, of being, right? Um, and it, it, there's sort of two issues at play. But one of the two is definitely the autism, right? And the sort of need to, because it was like, there was too much data that I didn't, for some reason, I was prone to action. Because if I wasn't prone to action, I would have just been consistently overwhelmed. Right, if if you're just consistently anxious and consistently overwhelmed with information, it was like analysis paralysis. So I would have to just get used to like acting on impulse, basically, because I had to, in like I had to assess as much data as I could as quickly as possible and make a decision. Otherwise, it was just going to be endless analysis. Um, and at some point, that sort of got ahead of me, and I ended up just running quicker than I could analyze, and analyzing after the fact. Right. Um, and, and that happened I'm try- I'm still trying to pinpoint when it really took hold because it wasn't that way since I was a kid. It was at some point I lost control, I think. Um, and then I found that interesting in terms of sort of because the the data processing is, is, seems to be a commonality with uh, you know other people with uh, autism is having lots of data and wanting to be sure to analyze it properly. And mm-hmm. I found it's interesting because to, to me, you're sort of the other extreme where it's like you'll very slowly move forward after you have the time to properly look at all of the data, whereas that lifestyle would have terrified me when I was younger. So I had to just sprint forward. And so that's sort of what I'm interested in thinking about right now is I think there's, um, you know, some people would call it empiricism, right? Like making decisions based just on data. Not necessarily on principles, mm-hmm. right? Or like you de- derive principles only from the data, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was really interesting because uh, not we haven't released it, but you and I had a long conversation about like what does philosophy give someone, or objectivism in particular? And we were talking about like ter- changing the lens of how one is walking. And so actually, maybe you're also walking in reverse. You're you're you move so slowly because Every step you take, you want to make sure that everything is correct, but you can never be certain you're moving in the right direction. Not certain because there's always probability of something else going on. And so it's again, it's this back, it's this different perspective. And I'm trying to figure out how it was to turn around. And, it, and to me, it makes sense that it could, if that sort of for some reason, that's the way the mind is set at a very young age, the entire mind would develop, like the brain would develop differently. Because it deals with information differently, um, so that it's
0: just like it's it's quite interesting to me. Um, it's really interesting you say that because while um, while you were talking, there was like a bunch of things that started going off in my head, um, and, and almost things that I that I that I resonate with. And one of the things that you talked about with running running forwards would always look backwards. Um, I think there's a semblance of me that I think, you, like when you say that, oh, I'm one that's slow and methodical. I think. I suffer from the same thing as you. I just deal with it differently. And so uh, as you started explaining, I was thinking like when we've gone and done things or decided to make decisions and stuff like that, you're like, I don't have time. To, I know I can sit here going through a thousand of the details and it won't be useless at the end. I'm just going to go and do it. Whereas I'm like, hold on, let's make sure we think this through. What are the effects, the impacts and all these things? I think it's the same, I think it's the same method, which is both of our brains can potentially go off on all of the like at least what I think about is like sometimes I almost can't shut my brain off and when someone says hey look I should do something I'll be like okay this is the risk this is the issue I'm like a natural contrarian with my brain goes off in multiple different um, multiple different directions mm-hmm. and that can be quite debilitating sometimes right mm-hmm. where um and you know this where it's like oh my god I only have half an hour to and, Arguably so, and I know I'm jumping up and down here a little bit, but arguably so, it's almost the reason why I need to put deadlines in there so that I can almost tell my brain, hey, look, you don't have time to go and riff off on every single probability and every single possible way in which this is going to You have to make a decision based off of, like, what do you think is the most likely? Um, and yeah. it's very tough for me to do that because I guess one part of me likes the fact that, like, you can, like, chase and, like, figure out what, like, all the different places in abstract. Um, but the other part we get super stressed by it, if there's like a work thing that needs to get done or someone's depending on me and things like things like that. Um, so I'm curious, it might actually just be a different way we approach it where you understand it better that like, if you if left to your own devices, you'll do this. Uh, but for me, like I sometimes need to forcefully put deadlines for me to get going. Other, otherwise, I'll procrastinate by overthinking it. Like sometimes I'll sit there with a document right in front of me going through a thousand different ways that I can tell the story as opposed to just writing that story.
1: And so for me, like the most interesting thing about me and the way my mind works is every, everything that let's, let's use us as a contrast. So I won't, I won't generalize to every autistic person, but for me, it was like any indication of something like that. I was so fearful of, I did the opposite as quickly as possible. So I was so worried about the analysis paralysis and that, oh, I'll never be able to. So it's no, just do it, whatever. Like, so I was totally impulsive because like I can. And so I train and but then it was like a positives and negative feedback loop. Because of that, I trained, I pushed the limits of my processing capacity so that I could process as much data as quickly as possible to decide and act as quickly as possible. And so I just would inundate myself and absorb. So I was just always recording as much as possible so I could be acting because, I, because yeah, the idea of like the anxiety of not being certain it's the right thing was mm-hmm. so awful. So I would just act all of the time. And then I never had to worry in the moment about the uncertainty. Right. And then it was also a a feedback loop because when I would act, then there would be a bunch more data. Right. And so Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, I'll learn better through acting because I'll test the theory. And worst case, I made a mistake and I'll change something. Right. But so I do think it's I think that sort of the essence of what the autistic brain does is it's this sort of data and almost backward focus. Um, And that's what I was talking to about is trying to turn around because there are fundamental principles that we can be certain about and then walk forward with certainty. And it's a total different perspective on the world, which is apparently how many people act. I mean, the thing that's interesting is many people have the wrong principles. So you and I looking at anyone who does act with certainty or does act in this manner I, growing up, I was like, well, I'm not listening to any of these people's rules. Clearly, they're wrong. And so it was like my data processing was more accurate and better than most people's rules. So mm-hmm. I never paid attention to any of their rules. And I thought, oh, this is the way to live. Right. But now it's like, oh, no, are there principles that do fit my data so that I can predict, like I can make predictions and, mm-hmm. and, and some like with certainty or near certainty move forward. And we talked in another episode about how, um, or maybe it was just off offline, um, about how that actually makes the thought processing more efficient, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's less things to figure out less. If you're certain something is impossible or is, is the case, then you don't have to go down that track. And that's really helped me organize my thinking a lot more and have less anxiety and this sort of thing, because my mind doesn't have to do the ten thousand variables every time anymore. Um, I'm still working on getting control of the impulse. Um, you know, I don't know if the followers of our podcast know that I'm. I went to Austin, Texas, then Las Vegas. Now I'm in Nashville, um, but um, <laughs> but it's all related to this because again, I would sort of like overcompensate for a lot of the stuff that like you know the average person, the average autistic person might just deal with in some other manner. I way overcompensated,
0: and it's it's hilarious that you use that example because um, it over it, and just to tell people who might be listening, I've been thinking about moving out and worrying about timing and expenses and like working through all the variables to find the best time to move out. <laughs> <laughs> in that time, you spent you've literally gone to like three different states and like you're jumping all over the place. And every time we're on a podcast, you're in a new different you're in a different house, right? um it illustrates that like you when 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 you have when you don't know what to do you just decide to do one of the things uh when I don't I sit there and be paralyzed right Um, right and and it's it's funny because um and off the top of my head it automatically made me think about how like I think I'm a really good manager but I'm a I'm a horrible person to manage and it's not because of any fault of the manager it's that like sometimes when I'm given something that is that is ambiguous and I'm given rules that contradict each other, it will like, it, it is a physically difficult experience for me. Cause like, even, even before we jumped on this call, right? Like um, usually when like someone tells you to do something, I was like, hey, please write this up. Don't go over 250 pages and make it look like this document. Right? And hit it to our story. And the issue with me is like, I'll get so stuck in that you can't go past 250 50, 50 words that like even if it's something that like after spending time reading it you're like you definitely need a 500 or a thousand words i will try so hard to fit it in 250 as opposed to just throwing out that rule um and I'll, I'll find that like i will consistently get stuck in these things where it's like if you can't um if the rules or if, if i'm not given principles but instead i'm given rules it becomes very hard for me when those rules aren't perfectly um perfectly aligned with each other and part of the reason why i think i might be a good manager is because i never give hard and fast rules. I always give principles. I like think about what the client would wanna hear or think about those type of things. Um, and the one little side thing I wanted to say is, you know how you talked about like, um, you've realized that it's better to at a certain point just decide to do, um, this is what agile is. I don't know if you're familiar with agile, but um, like it, it's it hit me so clearly that like, what I'm doing in my head is almost like a waterfall approach where you try to hit every single little thing that you need to get done over a year period but in the period of a year, like all of the relevant pieces have changed. So now you got to change everything. And like, you end up procrastinating really slow. Whereas as to your point, like, and similar in agile, if after you finish that like six week sprint of what you need to do, anything else that you didn't cover, you throw out and you start up all over again. And it's almost like, as you mentioned, those extra thoughts, instead of having to spend time going through all those extra thoughts and distractions, you almost throw them out and go, these are the only ones that are useful. It probably isn't worth my time spending more time getting any more extra information. So- yeah, it,
1: it resonates, but I like, and I agree. And I think that's a good process. And in terms of like the amount of knowledge I've gained about everything to do with all of my businesses, just by doing stuff and then like recorrecting in two months or three months, it's been huge. Right. And I mean, that's what they say, like entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs need to do and, and this sort of thing. But one of the issues I've, I have because of my approach is, um, is I have, and this is what I was consistently told, sort of as a kid, um, like right through university, I have a hard time with depth of thought, Mm -hmm. right? I, I almost stifled my ability to think deeply, because I so focused and leaned on my ability to process broadly, like a lot of data really quickly, what's the best decision in this moment. And I never do long term implication thinking, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I decided to go to Texas, I got to Texas. And I was like, this was probably the wrong decision. But I couldn't at the time even think that because it's a muscle that Mm -hmm. I've not trained to act like I've once or twice done, uh, like the process of what do I want my life to look like at 65. And I could set a goal and process relative to the goal. But to actually be where I'm at and do like generative thinking, okay, what are the implications? What are the logical next steps of this thing? To willfully do that is almost impossible for me. I'm trying to practice doing it now, but I've never done that because I was always running so fast that all I cared to do was process the data mm-hmm. and whatever. So I, I've started to think that I'm actually... I was, people always thought I was hyper logical. I actually think I was hyper emotional. I think like my impulsiveness was me following my emotional assessment. It wasn't Mm -hmm. me thinking through anything. It was, here's a bunch of information. What do I feel is the best for some reason I don't quite get, let me act on it. Right. And I was just so impulsive all of the time. And then, and then I was just, absorbing the information behind me. And so now, as I try and sort of turn around and look forward and project, right, it's really a struggle for me to think. And to accept if if I'm doing that thinking forward, to accept any uncertainty, right? So like, I'm deciding I'm gonna sign a one year lease. Oh, I've not done that in so long. And it's like, that's terrifying to me. And there is so much uncertainty right like but to ground one thing is like very alarming to me and so i'm so it's sort of like two different issues that have come from the the way i used to sort of engage with the world
0: it's really funny you say that because one thing stands out to me really quickly um when you talk about not being able to think so deeply because i think the same thing where i'm someone who very much likes breath more than depth and when you talk about like insights and new knowledge like i find majority of the cool new ideas or things that I get, uh, I guess the market rewards me positively for is when I'm able to, instead of, like if you think about depth, right? It's like small little pieces of knowledge that you get together and get newer and newer pieces of knowledge. But for me, the the value that I guess our thinking brings is with that breath, you can take things that are so far away from each other and find the places in which they might potentially connect because you have such a swath of information that's distributed in multiple areas,
1: so I really want to respond to that. Um sure, go ahead. So, I, I, can, I
0: can see you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like oh man.
1: So, <laughs> so, so I, so I totally get what you mean, um, but I'm now I disagree now
0: okay. because
1: for me, yeah, like the amount of like integrations I've made and can make because of the breadth approach is crazy. It's super cool. Um, And it's, and the market does reward them. But to me, it's like the same process all of the time that it's become boring. Mm -hmm. And I think that the reason you and I haven't yet been rewarded for depth of thinking is because we've not learned how to do it to the degree we can, or at least I've not right because now what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to take two or three of the areas where i've made a lot of these sort of breadth connections and now just sit on those and turn around and march forward right mm-hmm. imagine like marching forward and developing an entire new industry or a new field of science or something like that right that is only possible with that depth of thinking not that analysis and so that's where actually like new and like the truly deep new innovations come from is from that depth approach. But I don't think many people in the world do that properly. Um, And so, cause I've started to almost get bored because to me, it's like, it's not even me that does this breadth thinking. It's just my brain. Like my brain just does it now, right? Like the data is processed and then, oh, Eureka, here's the thing, right? And it's like, okay. But so now, what I'm trying to do is train myself to do breadth thinking, uh, or, or depth think depth thinking. Um, and I also that's why my interests have sort of shifted towards potentially creative work, because then, like, it's not just analyzing; it's generating a universe. Right? I have to think so deeply about all of the implications. It's not just processing the data, because the world is the world, right? There is an answer, There's, there's. it's just integrations that have to be made. But if I'm generating, if I'm marching forward, and I literally, again, it's I view it in that same lens of, okay, I was looking this way, now let me turn around and look this way, but march forward into generating new
0: knowledge or new uh, creative uh, do- information. i I do think there's an element of like grass is greening on the other side that's happening here too right with that like i I look at what people generally define creativity as and when you think about like uh design thinking it's like divergent and convergent thinking which is similar to what we're talking about right Mm -hmm. um and a lot of the times the ability to have that breath and take in things that are completely unrelated is what actually has caused some of the biggest like scientific uh, innovations right like think of the apple on uh, newton um or like I- i'm recently watching genius which i think you really like with albert einstein and of course i don't know if it's true but the scene is he looks at coffee and starts to understand things about science and so people like look around and even if you talk about like the greatest physicist of all time right like he talks about my the bi- biggest discoveries i've ever done and that's why i think there's like this weird middle ground there where it's like if you listen to richard Feynman. He always is like, I'm never actually sitting here thinking about like formulas and stuff. I'm just going out in the world and looking around and being like, oh, cool. Like, how does this, in- how does this integrate with the knowledge that I have? And so like, I feel like it's a mix of both, right? You have to be able to do both um, in iterations. It's like, mm-hmm. you focus on the ideas that you have having, like, and any engineer or anyone who's worked focused on a deep, deep uh, focused on a deep problem will tell you sooner or later, you're just spinning your wheels. And like, you got to like get up and do something else. And then you're doing it. You're like, oh man, like, why didn't I, why didn't I think about that? And like, that's part of the reason why they have like ping pong tables and things like that to try to get you outside of convergent thinking and focusing on like the key small ideas and try to look around to see if there's any like connections that you make. So I think like, yeah. and, and it seems to be that like, there's a lot of grass is green on the other side and on both sides of the fence, right? Like I talked to some people who are specialists and they talk about, damn man, I wish I could be a generalist and like understand how all these things work. And there's me who's like, well, like I can't do the actual thing because you're the specialist that knows all the like nooks and crannies of this thing. And so I see it often where like people jump back and forth with like grass is greener on the other side. And I see a little bit of that here.
1: So I, I think it's important to separate out the two issues, the grass is greener and the value of one versus the other. Right. So for me a hundred percent it's a grass is greener thing but that's because for me the the breadth thinking isn't even a choice my brain just does it so it's not fun anymore i'm just bored of it right so even when i have like a really cool i still get like really cool ideas that i think can change the world all the time it's just boring anymore It's, it's i used to chase that feeling And now it's just like, okay, it happens once in a while. I don't care anymore, right? So definitely I'm hoping that the other kind of thinking provides me more satisfaction. But what I'll put forward is the amount of processing capacity I have, and I think you have, right? If we learned how to hone it and go into depth at something and actually push our knowledge forward, you're still going to have the other analysis because, but it's all going to be filtered through the one lens and you're going to be pushing that forward, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think, I
0: think that there's- I hope it's applicable too, right? There's a chance I, that like that same processing power just isn't applicable too. So like fingers crossed, I hope it is.
1: <laughs> no, no, I think it's at least somewhat applicable. I don't think it's directly translatable, right? It's a very different process, right? But I actually think the this is all just sort of you know fringe hypotheses at the moment, right? But I actually think that it's the depth thinking is a fuller process than the breadth thinking mm-hmm. because things can logically integrate without even being real, right? But to to generate a depth of thinking, there needs to be um, more than just logical connections, right? because um, there needs to be all of the logical connections generally, and then it has to integrate with an entire specific body of knowledge, right? And so you have to hold that whole context the whole time, versus if I'm just like, making, you know, broad, gen- broad integrations, the, the two things can connect, and I can make 100 of those, and 10 of them are good, and 90 are bad, but it doesn't matter, because the 10 are like, super cool, right? And it, but it's, it's, you don't have to hold the same context. So it's like, I think the, the processing is shifted
0: in its use, right? That's, you know, how it's, it, that reminds me of a, of a concept that I've heard. I think it's called the eye model, um, where they say like before, you know how everyone does this, they go depth, I mean, so breath and then depth. Um, like if you imagine an eye, they, they actually, the belief now is that you should try and be an eye where it's, you have some depth or i am seeing some breath in some domain of knowledge, you focus specifically on one and then you re you re expand out and try to get breath in that area and so they call it they call it like an eye model because there's certain there's certain like and it's very common in technology because technology is pretty hard to segregate into like specific boxes so like if you think in like off the top of my head like you think like technology is your breath and you are into like computer science or you are into like engineering electrical engineering then there's batteries, right? That's the depth. Like that's your that's the industry that you want to hone in. And then within batteries, there's like some exterior, like external technologies that might not be directly relatable, but have some like input into it. Oh. They say to try and they just say to try and build breadth that way, and that will probably be the most successful form of um, form of knowledge, I guess.
1: Right, but I'm talking
0: about creating new knowledge.
1: Or discovering yeah, yeah. new no, knowledge. of
0: course, like like the eye doesn't is not a static eye, right? Like anybody who's working in that space is generating new knowledge, right? Like if you're no, working but, at the head, no. you're working at the um, the pinnacle of battery technology, you're you're doing that and you're creating new and new like uh, new and new new I guess functions, new processes, new products, things like that, right?
1: Right, right. But I'm saying that I think there's again, once you have the eye established. Do you continue to go deeper and have a new, like, like, I mean, I don't know what to call it, a new stem, or do you like broaden once the, like, what is the focus of growth is my question, Mm -hmm. breadth or depth. Each moment you're living, you can only be focused on one as your primary goal. Right. And I think it's, I think there's, I think not enough people know how to focus on depth Mm -hmm. and people like you and I because no one taught us how to focus on
0: depth properly learned to focus on breadth I agree and like some people like I remember when I first walked into my first technology role I was like hey I want to learn everything about what happened in technology so I can know about all of it right and the guy looked at me and he was, a, he was an MBA professor at, uh, at Schulich. and He's like, that's batshit crazy. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I know colleagues who spent 30 years on database technology. And like, there's no way in hell they know, like, there's no way in hell you're going to get to that level of depth and then do that with everything else. So like, I do think like that this whole, like, we are essentially talking about frameworks, right? And like, it's not going to be a clear I and a clear T or a clear breath. Like everyone like dips in and dips out on every single one of these. So I think it's more of a general way to think about, like if you dive into psychology or you dive into like, um, I I hate just pulling ideas off the top of my head like that, like examples, but as you dive into big battery technology, as the previous example, you'll start to see new frontiers and new things open up that you start going deeper and wider into.
1: So yeah, so what comes to mind then is more so like, um, you know, a light shining out, right? What I'm talking about is, You and I are used to, again, it's sort of like we're looking backward at the breadth of things, and we want to make sure it all integrates into our understanding. But then what I can do is turn around with that understanding and shine a new light forward, right? And Mm -hmm. so when I'm shining that new light forward, I can choose, like, regardless if, if I choose to walk straight ahead or like zigzag within it, the whole idea is The approach is different. It's a generative approach rather than an, like the mind can either uh, consume or produce in any given moment. And Mm -hmm. I think you and I are more often consuming data to understand and integrate. And then sometimes, as a benefit, we make new integrations because it's the only way the data will integrate in our minds. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying instead is I want to stop my mind from primarily consuming. I want to take all of the stuff that I know as a foundation and turn around and see what my mind can
0: produce. Right. And so without like, so I totally understand what you're saying, but like, and, but see the, like the framework, I guess, the Asperger part of my head that's like, Oh, there's something that you're mixing here. Is that like, that's a different framework than the breath and depth, right? Like you're talking about consumption and then putting it forward you can argue that that's what we do when we do anything. Like right now, what I'm doing is looking backwards and taking all the knowledge that I have and bringing it forward into um, into what I say. Now, of okay. course, we're talking about creating new knowledge and saying something that no one else has thought before, uh, but that's like the process of learning, taking things, applying it, integrating it, changing it. Whereas the breadth and depth is sort of what is the feeder of knowledge that you're taking in? Is it very focused and specific knowledge about a specific topic that you're trying to get new information into? Or are you getting a breadth of knowledge of multiple different things that are coming in? Do you see how it's like two or intertwined?
1: Yeah, no, that's a very good thing to separate out. I appreciate that. I think the confusion in my mind is the point I brought up earlier, which was no one taught us how to, or no one taught me how to think deeply properly, right? Mm -hmm. Or the value of it. Because I think the value of deep thinking in particular would be generative. It's they're not the same thing, but I think that's where it becomes really valuable. Whereas if I I do not understand why someone would spend four years studying some specific battle of the Civil War, right? Mm -hmm. So that's depth of thinking of history, right? But I don't think that's the, like if you're, I think if you're generating knowledge or -hmm. discovering knowledge, it's more common with a depth approach, right? To mm-hmm. to, try and, to try and broadly generate knowledge in like 20 areas would be very, so I agree that they're not the same, but I think there's a sort of intersection of which is more, com- which, how, which two fit together more often.
0: And, and we're like, we're in reality, simplifying very nuanced subjects, right? Like the mm. easiest example of that would be engineering. Uh, like, if you're a physicist, depth of knowledge is way more important. Um, if you're an engineer, breadth of knowledge is more important because there's a lot of engineers. Like, if you look at Elon, right, he takes multiple different things from multiple different areas of engineering and puts them together to make a rocket. But if you're trying to change the nature of energy conservation when it comes to batteries and you're a physicist, it'd be really important for you to understand the depth of everything about, um, I guess, battery physics. So, like, it's also dependent on the field and the thing and stuff like that, right? But the question I have is
1: when you come to a new piece of knowledge, when you come to an integration that you make, right? So, someone discovers something new about um, a chemical property of nickel, right? Mm -hmm. What do they then do with that? How do they aim to develop that? They can aim to be broad or they can aim to be deep or they can aim to um, n- neither, right? They can go on to processing and finding another small or big you know, net discovery,
0: right? Yeah, I, think and we're I, agreeing, I think we're agreeing with each other on like on top of each other where it's, um, all, all I was trying to say is that there's just, um, there are nuances to when it's better for, and I think you can agree that there's like, depending on what you want to do, one will be better than the other. And your point still stands that like, I I agree, like maybe we haven't um, spent much time learning how to go in depth. And so that brings me to a question, which is what have you learned now about deep thinking that you didn't know before? No. And so
1: this is where I think it connects to how I started the episode with the running in reverse. Right. I think I never even understood the concept of deep thinking because It was never proven to be valuable. I understood things so quickly just by processing the data that all the knowledge I had was stored as if it was broad knowledge. Because if ever there was an issue that came up that I didn't understand, I could very quickly understand it Mm -hmm. by just being told the data. So I never had to study something deeply because all of the information is there and I could just dig into it which actually relates to some another topic I want to talk about, which I think you'll find really fascinating. Um, But so I never learned to think deeply because it was never needed. Because if ever I needed to learn something that other people would consider deep, I could learn it very quickly on the spot if it integrated with everything else. Right.
0: And so what was your question? Uh, One is, Oh, what have you learned? Uh, now in terms of like, like what was the huge thing or even maybe it's not a maybe it's a series of small things but what have you learned now that you've been exploring deep thinking much much more broadly
1: well yeah and so so this yeah so to me it relates to what I brought up at the start of this I was always facing backward and so deep thinking was never worth it because I could with respect to anything other than my life with like facts about the world, I could access it and figure it out very quickly. No deep, no no deep thinking was ever needed because of my ability to process information. But now as I've turned around, I've found that getting a bunch of data and coming to the integrations to like increment forward a step is super dull. It's not that exciting, right? There's, there's just Yeah, it's not that difficult for me to do if I'm focused on generative thinking to generate a bunch of little integrations, you know, at the fringes. So instead, what I'm hoping is that it's more interesting to choose one area and to do a lot of generative thinking in that pathway. And when I do it in my mind, when I think that way, it's so much more fascinating and it's a lot more difficult. And it actually, I wouldn't have been able to do it two years ago because it requires actual like initiation of thought, which I used to not actually be able to do, right? Mm -hmm. I could never choose to speak to myself in my mind and explore an idea and really understand it and move forward. I could get information and process it and hear the results, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's a totally different process, which one is like, interesting and helps me access my mind. Um, and it's, um, so what I've learned is that it's, it's, um, it's a very fascinating process that very few people are actually good at. Very few people seem to actually be able to do
0: it. Um, and so what, Like, what was the, what was the, like, for example, how would you approach, like, how would you approach something differently now that you're thinking about it deeply than if you were thinking about it broadly? Well, so when
1: I was thinking about stuff broadly, it was like, okay, um, psychology, for example, right? I was researching a bunch, reading this kind of theory, these philosophy books, whatever, getting a bunch of the information and than trying to just integrate as much as possible, right? And and just try and figure out how it all integrates and Mm -hmm. how it integrates into my experience. Whereas now I think I've come to a piece of new knowledge at the core of psychology. And so instead of reading a bunch of books to give me more data points, what I'm going to do is I'm going to work and generate hypotheses, right? Okay, if this is true, what are the implications? What do I think the implications are in this area or, or in a new area? And I'm just going to work on generating that knowledge out of my mind, it, what flows out of my knowledge that I think is integrated. And then you test that theory and then you see how it compares to other people, because that's the process of, je- of creating or discovering knowledge right? Um, which is a very, very different process. And because of that, I'm still not very good at, do, at doing it, right? But so that's the process I want to be able to consistently do in my mind. Okay, I have this theory. And I can either like, so a, a sort of data processing hack would be okay, anytime I see anything, how does the theory relate to that piece of information? But instead, I could also sit and just think and 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 understand. Okay, how do I slowly broaden this piece of information? How do I expand it in my thinking? Um, and I, I literally experience it as a different phenomenon in my mind. Right? Mm-hmm. It's literally like instead of looking at the data in my mind, I try and move forward um,
0: and see what. The way that I the way that I think about that is like instead of. I guess I'm just showing what visualizes in my head, but instead of taking a few different ideas and finding out how they connect, it's like, think of it like puzzle pieces that you've already put together. And now you're like, okay, what is, what's the puzzle that's next to it? Right. It's like, instead of trying to find like sort of um, wires or webs in which they connect, you're like, okay, what are the new webs that are out there that no one else is connected with? And it sounds similar to what you're like, like, it sounds a lot, it sounds very similar to like, and maybe it's because I'm watching this show with Albert Einstein and like he in that show. And of course it's an actor and it's a dramatization and stuff like that. But it's a, it's a common experience that's among scientists, which is like, you think about this idea all the time. And you're like, how does this affect this? How does this affect this? And it sort of like integrates what I had talked about earlier, which is that like, they are still thinking very deeply and they're always thinking about it. But the time that they, the time that they come up with this new Eureka moment is they're thinking about it in the back of their head and this new piece of information that's completely outside of this domain connects with this. Whereas if they weren't thinking about that and were just thinking about things as large, the apple falling down was the apple falling down um, as it has fallen down all the time. But because I'm thinking about gravity, that's why the apple makes sense. Is that
1: right? Yeah. I think that makes sense. I guess I'm
0: doing exactly what a breath thinker would be doing, which is integrating stuff that's in both of the different areas and making connections.
1: Right. And, and I mean, that's it's obviously that's an important part. You want to always be seeing, OK, how does reality interact with your theory or whatever it is you're like trying to be a creative or generative thinker about. Right. But the difference is like I, I use myself as sort of like an extreme example. I was always just open to all of the data and anything could integrate to anything. Right. Maybe you were more focused. You had like a few domains of interest, but it was always about absorb all of the information in this domain of interest right um and so and so that's very different than yeah moving forward on a theory and you're still open but then oh like this could be a foundational piece that really helps advance it or you know this this 30 percent of the theory wasn't as strong as it could be and now it is but that's very different than it's connecting to this other thing right and it's still like you know what are you focused on what are what are
0: you moving forward with right um
1: and I find yeah. this, it, like,
0: it, it's it's and i very much understand your phenomenon part of me and to be quite honest it scares me a little bit when you say like that like all those integrations and like cool ideas that you see in the world don't interest you anymore because that's what yeah. i find most interesting now because i'm like all the time that i come up with this cool new thing i'm like hey like this is awesome like let me tell someone about it or write it down or whatever it is um so it scares me a little bit that you're saying that 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 doesn't get interesting in the future um, well i
1: also have an addictive personality so it could be like it, it doesn't hit my like.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. After like, unless you get a cool enough idea, like, there's probably like a bar of how what a cool idea is, and only when you pass that bar is when it gets. No, the bar, I, I
1: don't think there's a bar anymore. It's any,
0: but anyways. No, I was just, I was just fixing. That. I was just uh, aligning to your addiction example on how that bar just gets higher and higher. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's it, it's something that I think deeply about because it's like I have a lot of cool interests and like I can talk about something for anything, right? Like I've wanted to be a Renaissance man for the longest, for the longest time. Um, but my fear is that like, okay, like I'll run out of cool, new, interesting ideas. Like once you understand the biggest ideas in the world, right. Either you have to decide at some point that you're going to have to create your own big ideas. Um, and for me, that's a really scary process. It's like, there's so many cool things in the world. I have to choose one and I have to choose that one for a long period of time to think about it. Like, um, that's interesting. I, I'm glad that you're going down that journey earlier so that you can tell me all the potholes to dodge when, <laughs> when I get there. When, and that's really interesting
1: because I, I just in the past couple of days had this experience of, OK, if I'm now like calmly walking forward, I'm not sprinting anymore and I'm not looking backward anymore. I think I've gotten control of myself enough to orient properly and walk slowly forward it's not going to be as exciting sprinting as fast as I can without any clue where I'm going was pretty exciting. It was pretty right. But, but the purpose of life in my view is my happiness, right? So it's not about the fear of if I can't find the exciting work to do, or if I don't get to do all of the things I just have to embed myself in a life that is enjoyable to exist in right? And then do these things from that point, right? So I can find the thing that interests me for five to 10 years. And if that then changes or something else comes up, I'm allowed to make that decision at that time in those moments to have other interests and that sort of thing. Right. And so I'm less concerned about it because it's about, um, it's not about, oh, I need to discover all of the knowledge, right? No, I just need to enjoy my life, mm-hmm. right? And and so that's sort of a different, that's sort of off topic, but that's how I've started to think about that same concern is like, yeah, I've always wanted to like get all of this knowledge and this is what I found valuable in life. Like that's what I, because like there's almost this, I don't want to get way off track, but like it's like what is more important, the true or the good? Where it's like, well, the true is the good, but like, it's a different orientation in terms of what you're focused on. I was always focused on what is true because that will help me be good. But it's like, no, if I'm good, I will only deal with things that are true, right? Um, If I don't know if that exactly translates,
0: but- um, (laughs) Lost me a little bit, but I'm sure sooner or later we'll get there.
1: Yeah. But so I I don't know if you have time to record another episode today, because I think it would flow well out of what we just talked about, because I think our experience of like running in reverse and the way we deal with our emotions and stuff Mm -hmm. gives us a unique perspective on introspection which I think is analogous to the creative process. That's my theory. And I think, so I'm, I'm calling it creative introspection. And, and I think we could do an episode on that. We shouldn't get into it now, but I want to tease it in this episode and then either we can record it immediately after or next time.
0: No, I love it. Um, I love that because like, it, it, I, I say this in the nicest ways in my, it, like to me that almost like when you say, creativity to, through introspection, I go, no shit. Like, 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 how else do you get creativity, right? Um, no, no, not that, creative. I, mean to diminish, I don't mean that to diminish. And of course, I haven't even heard your entire thing, right? I can't make it. A, like, I so not creativity make, through into introspection,
1: creative introspection.
0: Okay, cool. Well, I'll hear it out and we'll riff about it. But as it pertains to this conversation, um, the last thing I want to ask before we wrap up is, and almost like a rapid fire, because I know there's like, I don't think we'd be able to get down to what exactly the answer is, but I, I'm curious just as a little fun way to end it off, barring the answer of it's always best to be present, right? Like we, we know that. Um, in the time that you spend looking forward and backwards, what would you say the ratio between how you should spend your time looking forwards versus backwards? Like if it's 70-30, is it 50 I was going to say
1: like 80-20, 80 forward, 20 backward. Um, oh, okay. I
0: think, I think.
1: And, so go ahead. Let me finish. I'll let you finish your thought. <laughs> only once you've caught up to yourself. Most people do not spend enough time looking backward. They don't even spend the 20, right? So I had to catch up to myself. So I had to spend four years doing nothing but looking backward because I had no idea where I was, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but once you know where you are and you're present, right, I think it's more important to spend most of your time looking forward and reflecting as a valuable thing. I used to, it's interesting, actually, I used to spend a lot of my time looking backward and because of that, I didn't actually look backward properly, which doesn't quite make sense. But it was like, I was so fixated on what I thought I should be looking back at that. I didn't actually look back properly or something. So there's some issue there, but I'd say once you've caught up to yourself, once you actually know where you've been, I'd say something like 80, 20 off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I was going to say, I'd probably add a sliding scale there as well. Like as you like probably, um, Yeah, as a child, just be present, right? But like after, after I guess the age of eighteen, I I guess I broke my own rule. But it's like I think to your point, you should look backwards, and then of course, there's probably some time in the future where you again have a larger period of looking backwards when you're like in your late retirement and things like that. Well,
1: and I think I I think like a common stereotype of someone you don't want to be is the person who like relives the glory days. Oh, remember high school, how great it was. Oh, remember university, how great it was. Like that's, I mean, sad <laughs> to put it lightly, right? Um, Cause you're not living your life then, right? Um, and so even the 20%, right? I, I think it's valuable only for like sort of the emotional value it can give you of like reminiscing, looking through photos. But uh, like, it's a skill to do that appropriately. I think most people do it inappropriately.
0: And there's the, there's a thing where I think there's benefits to like, into your point, it's like looking backwards and being like, I'm grateful for the places that I've been and, and things like that. And, and of course this starts to go down as you become more and more self-aware, but I think look every now and then I try to spend like after every week or two weeks, I try to spend time looking back, being like okay, like what could I have done better this week? where was I like a shitty person, (laughs) like things like that. I think that probably, and to your point, probably takes up most of the 20% after you become more self-aware. But so that's an interesting
1: sort of difference and it brings us right back to the start of this episode,
0: right? The more you you get people who have Aspergers in a a, a conversation, (laughs) quick question turned into a no. I still want to hear you out. I just think it's hilarious. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, it's it's your fault. You're the host who wanted rapid fire and you didn't cut it off. (laughs) Um, So, but this idea of so I used to journal a lot. I still journal quite a bit because okay, here's what happened the past day. Did I handle it properly? How could I have handled it differently? I want to make sure I'm conducting myself appropriately. But if I have the ability to do that thought in advance consistently, then I don't have to reflect as much after the fact because I can slow down. I can only move forward when I've done the correct thinking, or I can only move forward when I'm certain I am making the right decision. So then you don't have to look back and reflect as much, right? So that's sort of the state you want to be in is that when you are acting, when you are doing things in in the world, you are already, you have already done all of the thinking or most of the thinking you think needs to happen. So you're only looking back to reminisce and enjoy great memories, trips, you know, loved ones who've passed away, not to think about, did I act appropriately? That should be the state you're trying to exist in is acting appropriately,
0: right? Sure. I agree.
1: Did you have another rapid fire question?
0: Uh, no. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. Um, I'll leave it at that. Uh, especially because right. we we're getting about to the hour mark. Any uh, any last words, uh, David? Nope. All right. Sounds good. Nothing. No last words for me. Thanks, folks, for listening.